Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor, the Providence Journal. Uh, I'm in the Providence Journal offices in downtown Providence with friend, cohort, and uh, Red Sox beat writer, Bill Koch, who uh, just came back a couple of days ago from New York City, where the Red Sox uh, promptly dropped two games and are now a uh, a pathetic 6-13, and 13, still in last place. Um, Bill, it's, it's not looking uh, much better than the last time we did this. I'll say this, Bill. Uh, two days in New York was enough for the Red Sox, and it was enough for me as well. Uh, <laughs> you love New York. Come on. I love New York. Uh, New York tends to win the battle, though, between uh, the city and myself. Right. Um, so it, it, at this point, I'll take my loss like a man and, and go back uh, at the end of May. Well, uh, you, you're taking your losses like a man, and apparently the Red Sox are trying to do the same because uh, they've had a lot of losses to uh, to take. Um, and those two in New York, let's uh, let's just chat about those for uh, for a couple of minutes. So the first one, Chris Sale was on the mound. Velocity looked a lot better. Command really wasn't there, and that game got away from them pretty quickly. Yeah, it was an eight nothing loss on Tuesday. Uh, you know, and as I wrote for the Journal, I, I think it was Wednesday for Thursday. Um, you know, Sale was very hard on himself after that start, and you know maybe maybe too much so in, in my mind. Uh, I thought the raw stuff was a lot better against the Yankees, probably the best that he's had in his first four starts of the year. Uh, the fastball averaged ninety five point five miles an hour, which is plenty to get batters. It, out. it was encouraging, if if nothing else. Uh, obviously, the results weren't there, but um, you know one of the big one of the big concerns that everyone's had with Sale is that his fastball was down in the high 80s, low 90s, and that's obviously not what we've seen of him uh, in the last couple of years. You know, and as I wrote for the Journal, uh, his fourth start last year was against the Orioles. It was a miserable afternoon at Fenway Park. I remember it was really cold. I think it was like in the low 40s and sleeting and just an ugly day. His average fastball in that start was 90.2 miles an hour. Mm. Five miles an hour slower. Uh, So for the conspiracy theorists out there who think that Sale might be hurt in some way, that the Red Sox shouldn't have signed him to this deal, that they weren't diligent enough before the extension to pick up on some sort of injury, I don't think that's the case. I just don't think that Sale is particularly sharp with his command at this point. Uh, There are a few reasons for that. As I wrote for Friday's journal, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that David Price, Eduardo Rodriguez, Nathan Evaldi have all thrown well in their most recent starts, and that Sale showed the best raw stuff that he's had in his most recent starts. I think these guys are finally getting to a point, belatedly, where they're actually ready for the regular season. And and I understand what the Red Sox were trying to do in terms of a calculus there, having guys prepped for the long term where they'll be strong in September and October, 
you know, where they were ridden hard last year and didn't want to necessarily get them back up on the mound at full speed in spring training this year. I just think that they maybe missed, if there was a balance point there, they missed it a little bit. Yeah, no, I think and they, it has cost them the first 20 games here. Right. I think you're right. I think they did miss. I think they thought, no, well, we'll get out of the gate slow and then maybe a week, week and a half in, we'll kind of be up to where we should be. Well, it's taken almost 20 games and, you know, um, if... if if uh, there's any silver lining here, it's the fact that everybody else in the American League East is also below 500, except, of course, for the Tampa Bay Rays. Mm. Um, as I was looking at the standings today, uh, the Yankees are 8-10, and 10, Toronto's 8-12, and 12, Baltimore 7-12. and 12. Uh, So the Red Sox are not exactly that far off. But obviously, Tampa Bay Rays, uh, with, their, with their solid pitching uh, in first place, uh, 14 wins, 4 losses, and that's where the Red Sox are heading to next. But before we get there... Uh, let's touch upon the um, the last game uh, down in New York, which was Wednesday, Wednesday night. night. Yep. And uh, Nathan Evaldi was on the mound, and another solid start uh, against the Yankees by uh, by Evaldi. But he's really got their number since since his trade from the Rays to the Red Sox. Twenty nine innings against the Yankees, including the postseason, he's given up one earned run. Mm. Uh, the Yankees are fourteen for ninety nine against him at the plate. Wow, um, he, he's really <laughs> been outstanding, and, and he was again the other night. Uh, six innings, one unearned run, left the game with a three to one lead, and, and deserved better. He, yeah. he deserved to win that game. Um, you know, just his raw stuff against right-handed hitters against the Yankees. When he starts throwing that front door cutter and he had a really good split-fingered fastball the other night, he's just tying guys in knots and and forcing weak contact. And I think you really see a guy who is very confident with some of those matchups, whether it be the strong Yankee lineup that we saw last year in the division series that he handcuffed or the somewhat weakened Yankee lineup uh, due to injuries that we saw on Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, that, that's probably what uh, what's most frustrating is that you know the Red Sox had a chance here to win a couple of games uh, because this was, uh, as you said, a weakened uh, a weakened Yankee lineup. Um, and in the last game, it was the bullpen that unfortunately cost them. Brandon Workman uh, didn't uh, wasn't sharp, and then Ryan Brazier comes in and uh, gives up a grand slam to Brett Gardner of all people. Yeah, I, I think this is where. If you had criticisms of the Red Sox in the offseason, it was going to be, why didn't they sign a reliever? The bullpen had been pretty good to this point, generally, uh, specifically the short guys. Brandon Workman had thrown the ball well. Ryan Brazier and Matt Barnes had both been very good at the back end of the pen. Um, I think what happened the other night was you saw Valdi go six innings. He threw 104 pitches. They weren't going to send him out for a seventh. Right. You knew that you had Brazier and Barnes fresh, behind they hadn't worked the night before so you're looking to steal three outs there Mm -hmm. that's where you might be a guy short Brandon Workman had probably thrown the ball the best out of a relatively mediocre group stuff wise it's either him Colton Brewer Tyler Thornburg Heath Hembry the only other guy you might consider there would be Colton Brewer in in my mind and I don't know necessarily if they were going to put him in that spot they went to Workman a guy who's pitched for them in the World Series before a guy who has significant experience with the Red Sox pitching against the Yankees uh, and just went out and didn't get the job done and like he said afterwards you know I faced four batters I got one of them out and I loaded the bases with two walks I I did not do my job Uh, Brazier comes in Goes ahead 0-2 on Brett Gardner with a pair of sliders. I thought the third pitch was a little curious. I could see what they were trying to do, throw a fastball up in the zone and, and hope that Gardner would swing under it. Um, I don't necessarily know why you don't throw a fastball away 
if you're going to go back to the slider the next pitch anyway. Gardner is not hitting a home run to left field or left center field at Yankee Stadium. That's the big part of the yard there. Instead, it's up and a little out over the plate. He manages to get on top and he hits a line drive into the bleachers in right field. And it was a very convenient time to cherry pick if you wanted to complain about the bullpen when really literally everything else has gone wrong so far this year but that's sort of been the story for the Red Sox if it can go wrong it has gone wrong through 20 games it certainly has um and uh I uh, took note of uh Dave Dombrowski's comments uh, after that game when he basically said they have to snap out or shake out of it they basically have to get their heads on here and 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 uh, start playing better baseball. I mean, there isn't, as far as we know, major injuries to any of the key players. Um, hopefully you're three weeks into the season now, so the, those those spring training blues should be behind you. You should be ready to play for real. And uh, they'll, get a, uh, they'll get a real test uh, this weekend when they're down in, in Tampa Bay. So let's, uh, so let's uh, dig in a little bit on some of the roster uh, changes here. I think first and foremost, uh, what surprised a lot of people, including me, was uh, when they DFA'd Blake Swihart, because we all know that of the three catchers, he's probably the best offensive uh, catcher, and it looks like um, he won't be with the team uh, anymore. Well, it could be, but I guess it would be... uh, kind of unlikely. There are a lot of hoops to jump through there in terms of waivers and, and trades and you know whether or not he has to accept an assignment or whatever. The long and the short of it is this. The Red Sox have moved on from Blake Swihart. Mm. If you want to boil it down to something really simple, they've decided that they're not going to go forward with him. Uh, and I think just looking back from the time he was drafted in 2011 until now, I think they've mismanaged him as an asset and mismanaged his value pretty much from the start. Uh, you know, this was a guy who, in 2013 or 2014, could have been included in trades for very significant pieces. You heard him discussed uh, in terms of trading for a starting pitcher, like someone like Cole Hamels. I read about the other day online. Uh, you know, when Cole Hamels was still very good with the Phillies, you know, in 2013, 2014, and they right. were looking to move on from him. Uh, so that's the caliber of prospect that people thought Blake Swihart was. Uh, his development was obviously hindered by injuries, uh, hindered by a position change, whether that was an organizational mistake or a mistake by John Farrell to put him in the left field at one point. Um, you know, and then obviously they just felt like Sandy Leone is a better defensive catcher, a better handler of the pitching staff at this point. A, a pitching staff that is pretty locked in here yeah. through at least the next two or three years, a pitching staff that you've invested hundreds of millions of dollars in when you talk about the combined salaries for David Price, Chris Sale, Nathan Evaldi, um, you know, and they moved in that direction to help the staff. Uh, you could say that, that it was short-sighted. You could say that you know, it was a mistake. Um, but this is where we are at this point after 19 games. You're probably not going to see Blake Swihart again. You're going to see Sandy Leone working with Chris Sale and with Rick Porcello. They have really good numbers in terms of opposing OPS and strikeout-to-walk ratios with Leone, the best in their careers for any catcher who they've thrown 100 innings or more to. That's significant. If those two guys turn it around and pitch well, and you factor in the gains made by Price, Rodriguez, Evaldi, 
their last three starts, you could see this team starting to come out of it. But you know, just on the whole, in terms of his career arc for eight years, just very curious handling of the player and, and disappointing handling of the player by the Red Sox. You know, when it happened, um, I couldn't help but have sort of the same feeling I had a year ago when they let go of Hanley because it just it it surprised me for a, for you know it, took, it sort of took me for a loop there. It, um, because, as you said, um, his his value was so uh, high, at least in their eyes, for many years. I mean, I remember him being talked about as uh, you know a non-touchable asset. Like you wouldn't yes. trade him for anybody. Um, and my gosh, now it's they've just DFA'd him. Um, and I I wonder. And of course, you know, we may not really know um, what the motivation was. I just wonder with the with the pitching staff the way it's the way it's come out of the gate and the struggles. I wonder if some of the the the, uh, the pitchers had either gone to Cora or gone to the front office and said, "Hey, you know, we really miss Sandy Leone here." And I don't know if that kind of uh, factored into it. Now, Sandy Leone is not exactly. Uh, making it up at the plate here at all? He's still not at all. He's still hitting in the 100s down in Pawtucket. He he's essentially a pitcher, right? Right, but hitting in the line. Uh, you know, if you look at the the staff as a whole, and everybody got off to a slow start, I wonder if if that played some role where they felt well, we really need to get Sandy Leone back up here. Uh, it just seemed like they. Uh, they could have gotten more for for Blake Swihart if they truly want, wanted to move on from him, and maybe they will. Maybe there's a trade they can still work out. But boy, it just it just came out of nowhere. You know, there were a couple things there. First, uh, Alex Cora and Dave Dombrowski both on Tuesday uh, denied the notion that that any players, pitchers specifically, mm. approached either one of them and asked them to move on. Yeah, and asked them to bring Leon back. Um, you know whether or not they're being truthful in in that spot. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect. We don't really to, know. I wouldn't but, expect that they would say yes. This guy came up to me and said that. Right. But, but whatever. I get. Right. It. Yeah. You know. But I, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's a cinch that they were lying in, in that regard either. No. No. Um, you know. I also know that Swihart within the organization had some very strong backers. Cora said, or Dombrowski said, that it was a, a pretty much a split vote at the time when they broke camp out of spring. Mm. Um, some folks in the organization wanted Leon. Some folks in the organization wanted Swihart. Yep. Ultimately, it was Dombrowski's decision uh, after 17 games to go in this direction. Uh, I know Swihart had a really significant backer in Jason Veritek, uh, someone who worked with Swihart uh, a significant amount. Uh, they went to the Super Bowl together, actually, this past year, the, the Patriots-Rams Super Bowl in Atlanta. Right, right. Uh, you know, Veritek played at Georgia Tech. He keeps a home there in the offseason. Mm-hmm. He hosted Swihart and, and his wife, and, and the two couples went to the Super Bowl. Um, so you know that, that Veritek had an affinity for Swihart, saw some ability there, mm-hmm. um, was someone who he worked with quite frequently before games, you know, doing extra work, whether it be catching, throwing. Uh, you have to know that Veritek was talking to him about calling a game, which he did very well during his Red Sox career. Absolutely. One of the best. Um, you know, so you wonder you know, whether or not this was Alex Cora and maybe some folks on the coaching staff on the pitching side. You know, maybe Brian Bannister or, or Dana Levangi weighed in and said, you know, we just like the outings, the pacing, the tempo, the pitch selection better with Vasquez and Leon, maybe mm-hmm. that's a direction we should go in. You know, I would also look at it and like like I said earlier, you have committed to these starting pitchers. You've committed to them long term right. and and in an expensive fashion. You need to maximize what you're getting from them. Uh, the end point is you're paying Sandy Leon very little, Blake Swihart even less. Mm-hmm. 
whatever you have in terms of equity, salary, prospect value, whatever it is, if they could have traded Swihart for something, they would have done it by now when he requested a trade last May. Uh, whether or not Dave Dombrowski has a different view of his value than, than other clubs might, they were never able to come to an agreement. Right. And so you need to salvage what you have. I, I'm, I'm just speaking in an organizational perspective. We need to salvage what we have, and right. that's a starting rotation. We need to get these guys up to snuff. That's the way we're going to win. Mm. If that means we're bringing pretty much an automatic out into the lineup and we're casting aside untapped potential in our mind, we're going to have to do it. And so they made the decision that they did. Because in their mind, the the, uh, the main thing is to get their pitching uh, right. I, th- I think they view the pitching as a greater asset than whatever Swihart's upside could sure. be for their offense and their lineup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the other news that happened recently is that Dustin Pedroia uh, is back on the uh, the IL. Uh, Very the, good, Bill. Yeah, Very good. I caught myself there. You did. Well done. Uh, <laughs> the 10-day IL, I believe. Correct. For now, the for 10 now day, anyway. yes. Uh, You're two for two. He was he was DH uh, DHing two games in a row, I think. Two days in a row. Two days in a row. Yes. Right. And uh, obviously his knee had been bothered him, uh, bothering him, and uh, now he's uh, uh, on the uh, on the IL. Uh, I don't know. It just has the feeling of this may quite be the end of of Pedroy. I mean, I don't know that he's going to come out and announce his retirement this week. It just feels like this could be another extended absence. Uh, where he might be able to come back and play a few more games, but it's not encouraging here because they they've certainly gone easy on him in spring training. They kept him there for extended spring training. They've done all the things they could possibly do. But hey, if the guy can't play more than you know a week at a time, he's really not worth uh, you know keeping on the roster. There are a lot of layers to this. Um, it's it's a very nuanced discussion. If you're going to talk about Dustin Pedroia, you can't get into hot takes because there are a lot of different directions that this could go. Yeah. First and foremost, you feel for the player because he had very serious left knee surgery, cartilage restoration, something that's not done very commonly and something that doesn't have a very high success rate, to be fair. Right. Um, and he's worked really hard to try and get back on the field. This isn't something he needs to do. He has enough money for the rest of his life. He doesn't need to play baseball anymore. Um, but it's something that he wants to do. I really believe he wants to finish his career on his own terms, honor the contract that he signed with the Red Sox, which runs through 2021. There's still the balance of this year and two more years added on to that. Yep. Uh, the club is into him for about $40 million in that period. Uh, so for them to suggest that you know they could trade him anywhere or, or just release him, they don't want to eat the salary and he has no value. Um you know, in Pedroia's case, uh, apparently he aggravated the left knee on a swing the other night in New York, uh, went to Cora and asked to be taken out of the game, which really took Cora by surprise. Yeah, you don't hear that much out of him. That, that you know, that scared Cora a little bit, to be honest, right. uh, because they are former teammates and, and he knows what made Pedroia great. It's that sort of sandpapery, gritty, edgy, chip-on-my-shoulder personality mm-hmm. to see that guy be humbled in this way is something that Cora never saw as a player. Um, so it has to be jarring for him, I, I would think. Um, you know, in Pedroia's case, though, he I know he spoke with the media in Tampa tonight and, and is optimistic. He's been pretty upbeat the whole time about how he can get back out there and he's going to be able to play again, and long-term he's going to be fine. In terms of roster management, though, this really creates a headache for Alex Cora. Having to carry Dustin Pedroia on this team makes some decisions really difficult for him. 
Yeah, and that, that's one thing that we were chatting about uh, sort of off mic here um, was that uh, with Pedroia on the roster, you are somewhat limited, especially now when you don't have Brock Holt because he's uh, kind of working his way back. Um, Eduardo Nunez was also on the on the IL now. Michael Chavis has been called up. Uh, Zoo Wayland as well. And, and, and Lynn, correct. Yeah. Uh, and you made a very good point <laughs> in that you know, last year they had a lot of flexibility, both with the pitching staff and with the positional players. Uh, whereas right now, and uh, you know, hopefully things will get better once guys get back. But right now, they're they're kind of hamstrung. There were four swing guys on that roster last year, in, in my mind, who allowed chorus and flexibility, whether it be with the pitching staff or with the lineups. Hector Velasquez, Brian Johnson. Brock Holt and Blake Swihart. Now, you hear that group of four, and actually, I'll boil it down to a group of two Velasquez and, and Johnson. Cora, throughout the season last year, said they're two of the most important guys we have. And as a press corps, we'd snicker a little bit right. and we'd say, come on, Alex. Yeah. You know, what about they, Mookie Betts? Yeah, right. you know, you're trying really hard here yeah. to sell these two guys. But in hindsight, with Johnson hurt and on the DL with left elbow inflammation, They've had to make moves, whether it be with Marcus Walden or with Erasmo Ramirez, who they just designated for assignment. Mm. Having two long guys last year out of the bullpen allowed them to sort of throw away games where they were down four or five to nothing and save the rest of the pen. And if you had two bad starts in a row, you could deploy the second guy Mm. the next day and still save the rest of the pen. Right now, you've had Hexter Velasquez, who's made two spot starts, because of the, the lineup being what it is, the slate of games being what it is. You've taken him out. Johnson has been out. Cora hasn't had that luxury. He's had to go Colton Brewer, Heath right. Henry, Brandon You're, burning, you're burning through that bullpen a lot quicker. You're now. sending guys out there an inning at a time, maybe yeah. two or three days in a row, and they're not necessarily going to be as sharp you know, when you really need them, right. like Workman the other night. Um, you know, now, Workman's performance the other night wasn't due to, you know, due to lack of rest or whatever, but that's just a for instance. Yep. Uh, when you really need to call on a guy, maybe extend him for two innings, you mm-hmm. might not be able to do it if he's pitched a day before. Um, so having an extra long guy there now with Walden, aside Velasquez, and you're going to go through the rotation four times here, you play 20 games in 20 days, that could reset the pitching staff and get them in better shape. In terms of the position players, you're only carrying three guys on the bench. Last year you had four. Right. You were trying to accommodate Swihart, so you had three catchers for most of the year. Your bench guys for most of the first 18, 19 games, were a backup catcher, whether it was Leon, Swihart, Vasquez. You had Pierce or Moreland, because the two of them weren't playing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then you had Player X, whoever it was. Right. But Player X generally wasn't a guy like Holt, who could play the infield and the outfield. Right. Or a guy like Swihart, who could catch, play first base, play left field, pinch run right. if you wanted to. Or a guy like Pierce who you don't really want to put him out there but you could if you had to put him on the outfield. If you really need to put him in right. left field like they did on Patriots Day. Yep. Yep. You play him at first base. He's a right. You had right-handed bats. You had left-handed bats. You had infielders, outfielders. Right. Sometimes all in one position. Sometimes all in one player. Yeah. Blake Swihart could do all those things. Right. So it made Cora's job in terms of decisions late in games or giving guys days off keeping guys fresh, made his decisions, his job, a lot easier. When you have someone like Pedroia who can't play every day or can't play three games in four days or has to DH, he served as a designated hitter the last two games 
of the Baltimore series. He's played 1,500-plus games in his career. Only the 12th and 13th time in his career he's served as a designated Mm -hmm. hitter. That's not who he is, no. and his bat is not justifiable in the lineup. As a DH, he's hitting 100. He's two for 20. Those are two singles. You put him in the lineup, Sandy Leone in the lineup, Jackie Bradley, who's scuffling in the yeah. lineup. All of a sudden, your lineup is really, really thin, and you see why the Red Sox rank in the bottom third of the league right now in terms of average slugging percentage, uh, some of the categories that they dominated last year. And I think that the nexus of a lot of this, fairly or, unfor- uh, fairly or unfairly, is trying to accommodate Dustin Pedroia on this yeah. roster. Well, those of us who play fantasy baseball, Bill, uh, know the value of somebody who can play many positions. Mm-hmm. You hate having that player whose uh, positions are listed as 1B and U. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because that's right. You know, they're, they're, there aren't a lot of uh, holes you can, you can put them in. And unfortunately, you're right, the Red Sox are sort of in that trap uh, right now, or have been. Um, it, it it gets you in a spot where you're a little stuck. Yeah, yeah and, of course. And you don't really have great alternatives. And, and when you're losing, you're searching for a change, a spark, yeah, a different lineup, someone off the bench who maybe can play five or six games in a row and produce in some way. They just don't have that. And and one, when one of those players is Pedroia, who is a veteran and who's had such success in the past, you're kind of deferring to this guy. And you're probably not treating him as... Uh, as you would treat somebody who is newer and doesn't have the same track record. And that, unfortunately, kind of hinders the team as a whole. You know, and this is partly, it goes back to how much respect you have to have for him for the work that he did to get back to this point, just to try to get back on the field. You admire his determination, his grit, the fact that he's willing to sacrifice his own physical health to try to help this team. What you're really hoping for, though, if you're the Red Sox, is if Pedroia really can't do this anymore, that he's the one who makes the decision. You don't want to have to do it for him. I know Alex Cora certainly does not because he was a player and Pedroia's teammate at one point. Mm -hmm. He knows what it's like to get retired. Right. Not to retire right. yourself. Right, to be retired by, uh, by some outside force. And Dave Dombrowski knows that if he goes to Pedroia and says, we're going to release mm-hmm. you, Pedroia carries a certain status in that clubhouse as a veteran, as a guy who's won multiple championships, been an MVP, been one of the faces of the franchise. There is a real human cost, even though baseball is a business and you'll pay sure. lip service to all that. Mm-hmm. There's a real human cost in that clubhouse and among your fan base when you cast aside a player like Pedroia. It it, it doesn't go down as easily as maybe moving on Hanley, who's, you know, a little bit of a goof and sort of had divided opinions within the fan base and wasn't a career Red Sox player. This is an entirely different set of circumstances. Were they to move on? Uh, So the last time we did the podcast, uh, you know, you... uh, you did some math for us, and you looked at uh, at the time. I think they were, I think the Red Sox were something like three and nine, and we started looking at. Well, you know, what if uh, they continue at this pace for another few weeks? Well, they continued at that pace for another few weeks, and uh, as as we started off the podcast by saying they're now a whopping six and thirteen, mm. which is not where you want to be. As you are uh, kind of uh, coming around the bend here with Easter this weekend and and heading into May. You know, again, the bright spot is not a lot of the other teams in the East are running away from you, but um, it's 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 getting to the point where you don't want to be in last or next to last place in the division and start looking up at all these teams, thinking I got to you know I got to jump over three or four teams here to get back to where I want to be. 
Um, and they do have uh, this road trip this weekend in Tampa Bay, which is, you know, the Rays have been playing very well. And then a very long homestand against some 500 teams here. So, uh, I don't know, what's your, what's your forecast here? Do you think that the Red Sox, with some of the recent changes, are able to maybe kickstart themselves here, especially when they come back to Fenway? Well, here's a couple things. You know, you, we'll start with the math, and I have my calculator out while you're going through that. Um, <laughs> That's cheating. Let, I know, I know. It's a little <laughs> cheap, but I wanted to be a little prepared. Um, you know, let's say they lose Friday night in Tampa. They go to 6-14. and 14. Yeah. They have 142 games left. Mm-hmm. To finish 20 games over 500, which would be 91 and 71, and, and give yourself a somewhat realistic chance to make the playoffs, you'd have to go 85 and 57. Yeah. Play 28 games over after you've started playing eight games up. Yeah, it seems like such a swing that uh, it almost seems impossible. The but. further you go into the year, the more extreme that that swing gets. Sure. If you get down to 130 games, you know, then it's 30 odd games yeah, over. Right. That you know, it, it gets extreme. Right. You have to get hotter and hotter as the, as right. the summer goes on. So you need to address that now. And I, I think. You know, putting Nunez on the uh, the IL, mm-hmm. I almost said Excellent. it. I almost said it. I saw that. Uh, putting Nunez on the IL and, and DFAing Erasmo Ramirez, you bring up Zue Lin, who I think could be a good addition for you. He's improved steadily his last three years in the minors. Uh, last year, he had an OPS over 800 mm. at Pawtucket. A guy who can play multiple positions is a pretty good defender. Uh, he's starting at second base Friday night in Tampa. You hope that maybe he can give you a little bit of a spark. And, and also... You call up the number one position player prospect in the organization, Michael Chavis. Uh, and this is going to be a guy who's really going to intrigue some people. He's raised some eyebrows already. In spring training, he flexed some power there with some early home runs. You know, and in Pawtucket, he's done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple tape measure shots. Uh, had an OPS of 954 in, in limited action with the Paw Sox. You wonder if he's a guy who you turn loose against left-handed pitching. Mm. You just stack the lineup completely with right-handed hitters, and you say... You know, let's go, guys. Let's play the percentages and give it a try. So he plays for Devers against the uh, against the, uh, in those games. You know, there there was a really I got a really interesting suggestion uh, on Twitter today, and and honestly, I think that that Chavis they might flirt with playing him at second base. Uh, he's had five career starts at second base in the mm-hmm. minors out of 280 games, but four of those have come early this year with the Paw Sox. Right. Uh, he was also starting at first base a little bit. So you wonder if they see his future on that side of the diamond. Do you remember I said before the season that I think he's part of the first base equation yeah. going forward. If you're going to move on from Pierce or Moreland, you slot him in, try to get some cost savings, try to negotiate with bets or whoever else you might want to resign. Um, had a really interesting suggestion on Twitter, and this isn't going to happen tonight, but I, I wonder if Cora would stray to this, and I wonder what you would think of this. Uh, from Gabrielle Starr, who runs a baseball blog, Girl at the Game, actually really sharp stuff that she does. Her suggested lineup would be Martinez in right field, Chavis is a DH at some point, and Mookie Betts at second base. <laughs> We're back to the old Mookie Betts at second base. Well, you know, we saw Christian Vasquez play second base not too long ago, right? Which is just, so, I, I mean, we're talking like so, further out of the box right. than out if of the box gonna, If you're going to put Vasquez there, then I think that uh, putting Mookie there is not that much of a stretch. You know, I don't know. I think that um, from from the little I've seen of Chavis, I see him more as a corner guy, either a third baseman or a first baseman. I, I, I think that in the long term, you're probably correct. They'll probably kind of work him into the first base equation uh, once they get past either Pierce or, or Moreland. Uh, and I think that in the short term, you know, I, I think since they've started, uh, started playing him a little bit at second base, I, I think it's probably more 
it's probably more likely that we see him there than than uh, Mookie Betts there. Right. I mean, the thing about Mookie is he's so good out there, you know, and um, you know his his flexibility. He could play center. He could play left. He could play right. You know, I, I just think that there are enough people that you can figure out second base with, but you really can't. You know, you want somebody who knows how to play the outfield when you were, in, especially in center field. If if JBJ can't go, you want Mookie there, right? The the really interesting thought that I had, and and you know, Gabrielle tweeted that out, and I, I mean, it's I, not it's not I, crazy, I had, crazy. I hesitated but, for a second, and the first thing that came to mind was. You remember last year when the discussion started in the playoffs about yeah. Betts maybe playing second base right. in the World Series. Right, against the Dodgers, yep. Betts was very excited at the thought of that. You watched him take an infield outfield those next couple days, and, and he had a skip in his step. You know, he had sort of a little twinkle in his eye when he's talking about playing second base. But he never did. Never did. Right. But I mean, not, not in the series. He obviously has series. played second base earlier in his career in the minor leagues. You know, and he got a couple innings in there last yeah. year during the regular season. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but... I went back to maybe his attitude approaching second base and the fact that he seemed, you know, a little sparked by it. And I look at Mookie Betts right now and I see a guy who's very frustrated. Mm. Uh, you know, not hitting. Obviously, he's at 200. I yeah. think he's three for his last 32. That's not who he is. And, and I know, you know, he's spoken to the media a couple times uh, after the games at Yankee Stadium and, and he looks a little lost. He's searching a little bit. You wonder if maybe that position change and, and maybe sort of you know, having a little fun with it mm. might invigorate him in some way, maybe freshen him in some way. I I'm just you know, I'm I was trying to go as out of the box as, as she was. Um, you know, but it it's an interesting thought. If he is in some sort of rut, you know, maybe you snap him out of it by yeah. Playing him at second base for a couple of games, and, yeah. and you say, you know, Mookie, gee, isn't that fun? And if he gets a few hits, he goes back out the right field, and, and normal order is restored. <laughs> um, you know, mainly though, I'm I'm looking for a spot for Chavis to play. If you're going to bring him up, you should have him in or near the lineup. Right. It, it does no good for his development if you bring him up and sit him on the bench. Um, I would expect to see Lynn playing yeah. at second base, but. You know, I would entertain all scenarios right now, and I'm sure that the Red Sox have had these discussions behind the scenes. When you're six and thirteen, you need to have them. All right, you're going to try almost anything. Well, since you and I basically discounted it, it's almost a lock that he's going to be playing second base. Could be even tonight, but uh, it's not tonight. Lynn, <laughs> well, Lynn is the, in the lineup. Okay, playing second we have base. the lineup, so yeah. But uh, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> Could see Chavis and then Betts, and then you know, God knows. Right. I mean, they might put Sandy Leon out there for all we know. So uh, speaking of tonight's lineup, so we have um, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez takes the mound. Is that correct? Does uh, and he was so, really good his last right. Outing. So so we're so I'm certainly interested to see how he comes back tonight against you know a very good team, a team that's been playing very well. You've you know, also you've also got Andrew Benintendi back right. uh, at the top of the order. His first game mm-hmm. since last Saturday when he fouled a ball off his right foot and it was a really uh, really painful it looked, moment. Yeah, it looked horrible. Um, that seems to be happening so much more now than I ever remember it happening. And I think. Maybe it's either the, the the approach of the batters, maybe they're crowding the plate a little bit more, or the the the, the split fingers that the that more pitchers are throwing, and maybe there's that more downward action. I just don't remember seeing it quite as much sort of growing up, and now it's, it's it almost seems like once every two games somebody goes down hard. Combination of a few things, you know. First, pitchers are, are really filthy. Yeah, you know, everything they throw is moving in all sorts of different directions, and and it's just hard to square the ball up. I think hitting approaches have changed. You know, maybe not specific to Benintendi. I, I think he's just unlucky. Um, but we're in the true outcome era. 
walk, strike out, home run. If you're going to hit home runs, how are you going to do it? Yeah. You're going to pull the ball. Right. Guys trying to pull the ball, trying to lift it the other way. And you're swinging really hard. You're swinging not swinging really right. hard. And and you know if you're trying to pull it, I've never seen a guy hit a ball off his foot when he's trying to go the other way. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. You know. So unless he has really big feet. <laughs> unless he has really big feet. Right. Uh, so you you might just have more instances of of that. I, I think early on, you know, someone like Ben Intendi and, and Xander Bogarts as well fouled the pitch off his uh, his leg in Oakland. Right. Went down pretty hard. I, I think those guys have just been unlucky. Uh, but it'll be good for Ben Intendi to be back. The lineup looks a little more normal mm-hmm. with him at the top. It certainly lengthens it uh, a little bit. Um, you know, and, and you're just looking for the Red Sox to have a run of games, have some consistent starters, not have so many guys in and out, you know, whether they're nicked up or hurt and trying to play through it. Um, and maybe, you know, if you can win two out of three and sort of slow Tampa down, you come back into that home stand with a little momentum and you play well at Fenway Park. That's what you've done, you know, for most of Fenway Park's existence, certainly the last three years. And, and maybe you can sink your teeth into the season a little. Well, uh, they uh, best get going soon because they have a, uh, a, a stretch of games here with, with without a day off for, for quite a while. Um, and... Uh, they uh, they're in Tampa Bay this week, and then they come home for a long home stand. You're not in Tampa Bay with them, obviously, but you will be back at Fenway when they host the Tigers on Monday, and uh, then they've got the Rays coming in, and then the A's come in. Uh, so they have uh, they have plenty of games here in the next few the next couple of weeks, and some opportunities to uh, to at least get themselves back at or close to 500. Um, and Bill, I'm sure you will be there telling us all about it. Uh, enjoy your uh, non-Red Sox weekend. What, what do you do on the weekends when you're not covering the Red Sox? Well, the great part about uh, being a Boston sports fan is we get the Bruins and the Celtics in the playoffs. Correct. Um, you know, so I'll be watching those if if those games are on. It's uh, it's challenging tonight because you get all three teams playing, so you need to right. do you know the laptop, the phone, the uh, stream, whatever you can get going to to avoid having to click through all three uh, all three channels. There'll, there'll be some dual screen. Uh, you know, actually, I, I also. You know, when I'm off the road or, or if I'm not at a Red Sox game, I do like to watch at least part of it because on TV it's a very different perspective mm-hmm. uh, than it is when you're there. You, know, you get replays, you have different camera angles. Right. Um, you know, you, you get a little, sometimes you get a little better view of pitcher and hitter uh, because you're more focused in on them and, and you know, almost through the camera you feel closer to them. Yep. You might see a little more nuance. Um, so it's it can be instructive and, and you can learn something you know from watching a broadcast. Uh, you know the Nesson crew does a great job, especially. I know this won't be the case this weekend, but when you have Dave O'Brien, Jerry Remy, and Dennis Eckersley oh, in the three man booth, that's that's the trifecta. Yeah, that is excellent yeah, television. And and for anyone who's missing out on that, uh, I highly recommend tuning into the Nesson crew when when you've got Eck in there as the third man. The interplay between him and Remy and and O'Brien just being able to direct traffic and stay out of the way just makes for great TV. Yeah, absolutely. And I always get a kick when Remy or Eck are there uh, doing Yankees games because you know you, that fire still burns. You can oh, you could no you could just hear the frustration in Jerry Remy's voice when they you know when they're not playing well against New York. You know because obviously look those great rivalries back in the seventies when both of them played. And speaking of broadcasting, uh, I'm also pleased to hear Sean McDonough back on the radio calling yeah. the games. He I think he brings a real nice kind of light 
kind of joking air and obviously knows his stuff. I mean, he's a pro. He's been doing it for a long time. Kind of a welcome voice on uh, on the radio broadcasts. You know, for folks who have forgotten or who aren't as familiar with Sean McDonough, just look at his Wikipedia page and, and look at some of the things that he's done. Yeah, you're going to need some time to look at it because it's, he's done a lot. It's unbelievable. The, the scope of his career is a guy who came up doing the Red Sox very young in the 80s. Mm. Um, you know, whether it was on Essen or it might have been on TV 38 TV, I, at the I don't time, know right? if it was... A little bit? It might have been. It might have been at the very end of it, but obviously the son of the longtime uh, Globe writer, Will, Will McDonough. McDonough yeah. Sure. Um, but you, you look at the scope of, of Sean's career in terms of not just baseball, but across all landscapes, mm. in, in all sports. Um, yeah, college basketball, uh, Monday Night Football, you, know, you name it. Football, yeah. basketball. He's done the World Series. He's done... Yeah, I think he's done the Olympics... You might have uh, at yeah, times. Yeah. I, I mean, just the the scope of what he's done. You got a really qualified voice there, uh, picking up some games here for EI. Right. Well, uh, those of uh, those of you who think that we're not so qualified uh, voices, uh, your nightmares about to end. Sometimes <laughs> agree, uh, Bill. Uh, it was fun as always. Uh, we will do this again in a week, and hopefully, the Red Sox will be uh, playing better. Then uh, 316 baseball by then. Yikes. Yeah. Ugly. 